welcome. Good to have you with us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you now, poised in this moment, on the threshold of just coming to your word together. Oh, we pray and ask that your spirit would quicken us, that you would minister to us, minister life and truth to this church body this morning. We pray from the youngest to the oldest that you would speak personally and powerfully equip us for the ministry we ask and pray. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have a, a real love and value for expositional teaching and preaching, which means exposition means um, to expound, to open, to explain the scriptures. We see great value and importance in that, particularly teaching the Bible in its context. So we have journeys through books of the Bible. Uh, at the moment, we're going through the book of Luke. However, the last few weeks, we had a message uh, on church life or the body of Christ. Then in my absence, we had a message on love, a message on grace, and today we're going to also take pause to speak about how that love and grace is expressed and experienced in the church. We're going to speak a little bit more uh, about church life. I feel and believe that this sermon is so important for this time in our church, uh, church history together at PEFC. It's been such a joy to see God knitting hearts together for new people coming in and, and seeing that wonderful expression of love and grace in the church. So this sermon is an, an crucial instruction for any Christian, wherever you are on your journey of faith, wherever you are in terms of your understanding of church life and God's call on your life, this is an important uh, message. When we think about the church, we understand that the church is not a building that we call this the church, but we understand that the church, as we taught a few weeks ago, Paul uses the analogy of the human body to say that the church is actually made up of people, more specifically born-again, spirit-filled people who have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve one another in the local assembly. It's a wonderful, incredible um, truth and principle that some may miss uh, what, what the body of Christ really means. But it is beautiful and so important in our church experience. And it's an opportunity where Christ is manifested among us. Think of that. That Ephesians 1.23 says, The fullness of Christ on the earth is the body of Christ. There is an expression of the person of Christ one to another in, in our local church. We are serving one another, motivated by love, quickened by the Spirit, enabled by His grace, and we have what's called koinonia, or fellowship. It's a beautiful, beautiful word, important part of our experience. And as we taught a few weeks ago, each one of us, you and you and you and I, each one of us has been gifted by the Holy Spirit with at least one gift, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Sadly, the pursuit and desire in many people's hearts in Christianity is for certain overt gifts. However, there, is, there are many gifts, uh, 17, some say 21 gifts listed in the New Testament. and We're not sure if that's a comprehensive list, but some of those gifts are the gift of helps, the gift of giving, 
hospitality, intercession, mercy, wisdom, serving. These are gifts that you don't hear so much about, unfortunately, because they are so important and beautiful in the church life. So it's so important for us to experience fellowship, koinonia. The word means partnership or participation, commune or exchange or a benefaction. Benefaction means the giving or the donation of a gift. And in the church, you are sometimes a benefactor and sometimes you are a beneficiary and both of those things are happening. For one is serving you according to their gift and portion and the fruits of the spirit and you do the same. It is koinonia, it is fellowship. It's an expression and an exchange of life, one to another. And this is one of the reasons we are gathering together this morning, and that's why it's so important to gather. Of course, sometimes people are physically unable to actually come to the church and fellowship. Maybe they have a sickness, an illness, they live far away, things happen. We understand that, but nevertheless, to have the conviction that I to come and draw near together in the church is so important. So we want to start this morning with a, a, a verse from John's Gospel in John 13. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Who should you love? One another. One another that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love who? one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love for one another. And listen now to these other verses in the Gospel of John about loving one another. I'll read them to you. John 15, 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love as I have loved you. These things I command you that you will love one another. 1 John 3.11 For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3.23 And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. 1 John 4.7 Beloved, which means divinely loved ones of God, the objects of God's agape love, beloved, lost my place, let us love one another, for love is from God. And also in 2 John 1.5, now I ask you, elect lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. I think we get the point in me reading those verses. I think we hear that, uh, and it's echoed through. Um, however, I'm going to do a few more. And these are from Paul. Paul says in Romans 13:8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 3:12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, and for all, as we do for you. Also in 4.9 of 1 Thessalonians, concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In verse 10, and indeed you do 
so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, and this is about a year later, Paul writes to them again and commends them that they have grown in love, that they are loving one another more and more. He says, the love of every one of you all abounds towards one another. And also Peter says in 1 Peter 1.22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So, thank you for bearing with me to hear all those beautiful verses on loving one another in the scriptures from Paul, from Peter, uh, and of course from John. But here is the question for us. How do we love one another? Well, of course, we know we love one another through the Holy Spirit. It is Romans 5.5, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit in our life is God's agape love. First of all, we love one another only by means of the Holy Spirit in our life. We understand our love is limited and conditional and it fails. But we are to love one another with God's love, and that is through the Holy Spirit. We understand that, perhaps, in some measure. But let's ask this question. What does that look like? What does it look like when we are loving one another? What does it mean that Jesus would say, they will know you are my disciples because they are seeing something. They are seeing that you love one another. So what does that look like? when a brother loves a sister and a sister loves a brother, etc., in our church family. We're not, it's not just saying, I love you, although that's important. It's not just saying loving words, though that's part of it and that's important. But John says in 1 John 3 that we don't love in word or speech only, but we love in deed, in action. That love has action. So how will love be seen? How will people know that we are his disciples? How can we fulfill that law, that commandment? When Jesus said, you will love one another, that's called the the commandment of Christ or the royal law of love in James 2. How is that seen? What does it look like? And to answer that, let's look at a verse in Galatians 6.2 where it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of of Christ. Now that's definitive, isn't it? That's making it practical, something we can see. That love is expressed through bearing one another. Now there's burdens. And notice it says at the end, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if I ask that question, how can I fulfill the law of Christ? Well, he would say, this is one of the answers, bear one another's burdens. And burden means a weight. It comes from the root of the word, something that is heavy, grievous, pressing down. And to bear one another's burden, you can come alongside and you help alleviate that burden. Now, that burden could could be because of many things in someone's life. Have you ever been burdened in your life? It's part of human experience, right? It could be because of the previous verse. Let's go back one verse. Galatians 6, 1. Oops, sorry, I'm going the wrong way. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or sin or fault, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. And then the next verse says, bear one another's burdens. So it's very likely that in that context, a burden in someone's life might be because they have been overtaken with a fault. They have stumbled, they have fallen, they have erred, they have lost their way, they have sinned, they have... uh, Something has happened in their spiritual walk or in their life. And in that case, I can help bear that burden. Someone who is living self-condemned and under the weight of their own failure. I can come as a spiritual person with with an attitude of grace and humility to them and I can help restore them to their path of faith. So it could be a burden through my own fault and error or sins. Or it could be I am burdened because of life's life dealing its blows as it does. Or someone else has offended me or hurt me or I have a sickness or whatever it might be. I have a burden. That is the, the point. And we can bear one another's burdens. But if I am to bear another's burden, I must know what their burden is, right? I can't bear someone's burden unless I know them unless I see them, unless I am with them. This is so simple but important. I must know the person. I must know what their burdens are. That doesn't mean I'm a busybody around the church trying to find out what everyone's troubles and problems are. The Bible says in other places, do not be a busybody meddling in other people's affairs. That's just the balance, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about I can't carry another's burdens unless I I know what that is. Where would we find the opportunity to know someone like this in many traditional forms of church life and expression today? Where you have a very stiff formal service where everyone's wearing their Sunday best perhaps and you come in and you sing the hymns and you in Jesus' name, amen, and everyone waddles out the door and that's it. How do you get to know people in that church environment? How do I get to know someone's name, someone's story, someone's testimony? How do I get to hear about someone's troubles or burdens so that I can be someone who fulfills the law of Christ in loving and helping that person? We are not to be detached people who just gather, but we are to be part of a family where there is trust and sharing, one for another. Now, there must be opportunities for that type of koinonia fellowship, right? And we treasure and we value them. That's why we love the time after service. We, we, we like to say that when we say amen here, our service is not over. It just moves to the next room. This is an important part of our Sunday morning gathering. If you are swift to leave, I want to encourage you, you are missing something. I don't think we have people that do that. I think we all love that and enjoy that. But after service, that is so important. Small groups have been such a gift to to many of us in the local church. It has been amazing for that. It's an opportunity where you can get to hear another story and burden, where we can pray for one another and people's hearts being knit in the small groups. 
I know that when we have had things like small groups and Christianity Explored, I was in the room next door and two people said, oh, hi, my name is, oh, hi, my name is, and I thought, you've both been in the church for more than two years, you don't know, you haven't met each other, what was happening, right? So these opportunities, uh, and maybe we don't always sit in the same place in the pew, maybe we go and meet someone that we've never spoken to before. And you say, well, that's not my personality. Well, okay, well, then don't live in your personality. Live by faith. Go speak to someone. Initiate spiritual conversation and fellowship with someone. We have friends, God-given friends in the local church, and that's beautiful. But we can see them always. But meet, let's meet uh, other brothers and sisters in the church. Again, the discipleship explored is going to serve the, the theme of Philippians. It's about joy in the Christian life. What does the Christian life look like in the context of church life? That's a timely course for us. We're going to have Bible classes on Tuesday night through the month of August. Another opportunity to gather, drink coffee, and have faith and fellowship and be in the Word together. These times when we gather, and I know different ones meet one with another uh, uh, during the week, they are precious to us. And we don't squander them, we don't waste them, we understand that they are so valuable. It doesn't mean that we are hyper-spiritual, that we always have to quote chapter and verse and talk about the Bible. But also, I don't just want to waste my time with a brother or sister talking about the weather only. They have something to minister to me and I have something to minister to them. So how important it is that we walk carefully, we walk in faith, we even walk prayerfully. And we say, God, will you use me to minister to someone? Or Lord, will you minister to me through the body today? And God is faithful to do that. This is understood by many through church history. I'll read you a quote from, uh, from George Whitfield. Uh, who is part of the Wesleyan revival. He says, My brethren, let us plainly and freely, and let's remember this is in the 1800s, let us plainly and freely tell one another what God has done for our souls. To this end you would do well, as others have done, to form yourselves into little companies of four or five each and meet once a week to tell each other what is in your hearts that you may then also pray for and comfort one another as need shall require. None but those who have experienced it can tell the unspeakable advantages of such union and communion of souls. None, I think, that truly loves his own soul and his brethren as himself will be shy of opening his heart in order to have their advice, reproof, admonition, and prayers as occasion require. A sincere person will esteem it one of the greatest blessings in his life. So we must create opportunities for it in our church life as we, as we hope to do. This openness one to another, where we come to know each other, uh, where we are not wearing spiritual masks, but there's a little bit of vulnerability, I can bear my heart sometimes. Particularly if it's a grace environment where I know I'm not going to get judged by someone, and if you think someone is going to judge you, then don't share it with that person. Let God lead you. But in a grace environment, there is acceptance. We are not judges of each other. We all walk and rebound in his marvelous grace. But what does bear my burden mean? 
What does it practically mean to bear another person's burden? Well, at the very least, it would mean I, I pray for someone. I am carrying them in prayers. I am letting them know that. I am praying with them and for them. It would mean I would walk with someone through the valley, someone perhaps in the church family who is going through something, they've got a diagnosis, they have trouble at home, they're looking, whatever it might be, that I can walk alongside them. I am a voice of encouragement and strength. I take time, I care, I help, I encourage, I serve, and maybe even provide. Sometimes just to listen with an empathetic heart is so invaluable in someone's life. So that's a directive for us, an important instruction for us, a definitive word on what it means to love one another is to bear one another's burdens. Here is another one. This is found in James 5.16. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, the first reaction to that might be, you think, that sounds horrific that I would confess my trespasses to another. (laughs) That sounds terrifying to do that. We understand that. You say, I confess my sins before God, 1 John 1, 9. Absolutely. But also this verse says, confess your trespasses one to another. So we have to carefully consider what that means. We can confess, agree, walk in openness with one another, acknowledging areas of weakness wandering and struggle. Now let's say this is an important qualifier. It doesn't mean that you share everything to anyone. There are certain things that maybe are more delicate or personal or serious that maybe need more of a covering, need wisdom. You may even need a a referral, a counseling referral, whoever, what it means. But you don't just say anything to anyone. There are certainly some times, and that's why we have uh, eldership in place, where hopefully there are people who are, you can trust the confidentiality, they have experience and wisdom and love and grace, and you can confide in them and share your burdens and your troubles and, and get some measure of counsel to help you. So that's the first point. You don't just share anything to anyone. Maybe God will lead and give the right time. And notice this. Confess your trespasses one to another. And trespasses is, is like a, a, a fault, or a sin or a fault or an error, uh, a stumble, whatever it might be in your life. You can, you can confess that one to another. And notice this. And pray for one another. Isn't that beautiful? And notice this last phrase, that you may be healed. Now that verse is often quoted and applied to praying for physical healing. And we believe that, and that's true. But in the context, that's not what this verse is saying. It's saying as you share your your troubles and your faults with one another, you pray for one another that you may be healed of whatever that is in your life. Isn't that beautiful? I've never seen that verse in that context before, but that seems to be what it is saying. You confess, you share, you pray that you may be healed, that the burden would be lifted, that you would get victory over that vice, that you would get freedom through forgiving that person, or whatever it might be, in that powerful, beautiful moment of faith and prayer, you could be healed. That's so wonderful. 
Now, um, it, it's, what's more wonderful is that's not the end of the verse. I purposely left off the last part of the verse, which is a phrase that many of us would know. It's, again, a very well-quoted phrase from the Scriptures, and it's this. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, we often just quote that part of the verse, but look at the context. You are confessing, you are sharing, you are burdened, you are coming alongside, you pray for one another that that person will be healed. And then he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That is a promise for that beautiful context and exchange in the body of Christ from one to another that God can hear and honor the fervent prayer of a righteous man. Wow, that's wonderful. Let's do one more directive in this context of, of fulfilling the love of Christ, and it's in 2 Corinthians 1.4. Here it's speaking about the God of all comfort who comforts us all in our, in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted from God. Now here again, I'll make the simple point. How can I comfort someone if I am not with them? How can I comfort them if I don't know them? How can I comfort them if I don't know their trouble? These verses assume that there is a relationship one to another. And therefore, I know this person, I understand their journey in some measure, and I can comfort them. Because I was once in that situation or a similar struggle, and God comforted me. And maybe at that time, he did that through the body. And now he will comfort that person through the body, and I might be the vehicle of that. And I do that one to another. It is my privilege to do that, to comfort others. This is the ministry that Jesus showed us in John 13, is it not? He demonstrated something when he washed their feet. But it was more than just physically washing their feet, of course. There was, this was symbolic for something much deeper that was to echo into church history and in every local church. He demonstrated what it means to serve one another by love. Whatever form that would take, this was one expression of that humility and love of service. We know, Jesus, we know that Jesus was only doing this symbolically because he says in this passage, he says, do you know what I have done to you? And they might say, well, yes, you washed our feet. The, the answer is much more than that. You call me teacher and Lord. You say, well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. If you know these things, and listen to these words, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. In light of that incredible example of our Lord who humbled himself and became a servant to serve to serve fallen men all the way through his ministry to the cross. 
And as on the last threshold, the beginning of the church age, he would say to his disciples and all of us, blessed are you if you do this. If by faith you avail yourself to God's spirit in you, if by faith you you have an expression of God's love through you to another, that may lead you to do things that you wouldn't do naturally, to say things and and accompany and assist, etc., in ways that you wouldn't do naturally, but maybe you have been gifted accordingly to do that. Demonstrating ministry one to another. And lastly, as we close this morning, I'm going to read some verses on the one another principle, just to drive it home in case we haven't got it yet. Romans 12.10, show honor to one another. So love one another, we hit that one. But listen to these, show honor to one another. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, it adds. 1 Peter 4.10, the next verse, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Romans 12.16, be of the same mind in harmony towards one another. You might say, is he done yet? No, I'm not done yet. 1 Corinthians 12.25, there may be no division in the body, all that the members may have the same care for one another. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The next verse, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And lastly, Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your spirit this morning. On this day, we thank you for ministering to our hearts. We pray with such thankfulness and also expectation, with a sense of your work in our hearts, in our lives, in our local church. We pray you would use this message and every word uh, as you speak to us on our journey, that you would use these words to to uh, revive our hearts, to direct our path, to increase our ministry, to help us discover the life of the body of Christ, what it means to have communion one with another, to have fellowship one with another. We thank you for what we've seen you do in our church family, new people coming in and being knit together, woven into the local church family. Oh, we pray for blessings to be exchanged one to another in faith, in word, in deed, in serving. We thank you and trust you for that. We pray you'd help us value and treasure and exploit the opportunities we have to be together in faith. Oh, Lord, through the week and other opportunities, please do that. Bless the small groups. Bless every gathering in Jesus' name where you are present. 
that you would minister, that you would knit hearts, that you would bear burdens, that you would heal people in their, in their lives and troubles. We thank you for that. We pray that together as one church, one heart in faith. We pray that and ask that in Jesus' name. And perhaps there's one here this morning or listening online. You're not sure of your salvation. Oh, listen, we are in desperate need of his grace and mercy. We are sinners. We will be lost forever. There is nothing that we could do to remedy that. But God so loved the world, he sent his son, that you and I, each one, oh, as, as undeserving sinners in desperate need of forgiveness, could be saved by grace. Oh, in this moment, if that applies to you and you're not sure of your salvation, just reach out to him. Say, Jesus, save me today. Guide me on my new found relationship and walk with you as one of yours. And we love you and thank you. Bless uh, this worship song together and the fellowship with one another to follow. We ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.